0: My guest today, Micah Zenko, has researched whether or not limited airstrikes, like the kind Donald Trump ordered on Syria last week, actually achieve their stated political and even military objectives. His book, Between Threats in War, U.S. Discrete Military Operations in the Post-Cold War World, examines some 36 airstrikes and finds that very rarely do they do what they are intended to do. We discuss why that is and what implications his findings have for further U.S. involvement in Syria. So we do a little name dropping in this episode, including Robert Pape, who wrote a definitive book on air power called Bombing to Win. And Bob was my guest on episode number 87 and I highly recommend that episode. He has a really interesting and unique, I'd say, life story for an academic of his stature. And Micah was last on the podcast about a year and a half ago to discuss his newest book at the time called Red Team, which takes a look at the role of devil's advocates in international relations. And before we begin, I want to let you know that I am rolling out some new premium episodes in the coming days to add to those three that have already made available for premium subscribers. You can get access to those plus a complimentary subscription to my daily global news clips service by going to globaldispatchespodcast.com and getting a premium subscription. You'd be supporting the show and supporting your own intellectual journeys as well. These premium episodes, take a look at global issues, but for a, but through, I should say, a deeper historical lens. So have a listen. And now here is Micah Zenko. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Eslanyan from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I mean, lots of people have
1: studied full scale warfare. Uh, Robert Pape had written the book, Bombing to Win, yeah. which is really about strategic bombing. And I was fascinated that no one had written a book about limited uses of force, right? So there's this book, this is great book by Barry Blechman, and Mort Kaplan on shows of force. And then Phil Zellico, who later became State Department advisor and 9-11 commission, he basically ran the 9-11 commission. He uh, updated that data set, like, do do shows of force achieve their objective, But no one had written a book about limited uses of force, and I found that really fascinating. And so one of the things I came up with with the help of uh, uh, people when I was working at Harvard, my PhDs from Brandeis, was the um, uh, acronym, Discrete Military Operations. And so what I was interested in was in uses of force that were not intended to capture or control territory, but were actually limited to uh, one or or, or a limited number of strikes. Were not part of a sort of overarching campaign. Uh, and so, like, my like the threshold, like, I did not consider Kosovo to be a discrete military operation, right? Because that so was that strategic,
0: was right, to evict the Serbian forces, right, from...
1: Well, well I mean, Kosovo's Kosovo is fascinating because of, what like, 70-plus days of bombing. That's sort of how it begins. But if you remember, after about 20 or 30 days, it really becomes a full-scale strategic air war to just destroy Serbian civilian infrastructure and governing infrastructure. So they take down bridges. They take down the... Uh, uh, I mean, they dropped this monofilament um, and, and all these these things to take up power plants. Uh, they're, they're trying to destroy the electrical grid. There were actually cyber, some of in the initial cyber attacks. They tried killing Milosevic. They put a cruise missile uh, um, uh, to where they thought he was and so forth. So Chinese embassy. A Chinese embassy, yeah. I mean, that's not to evict Serbs that are in the Koso- the province of Kosovo. So like, it, it really escalated significantly. So that's not a discrete military operation. So what I was more interested in was um, uh, there were five uses of force, um, around Bosnia-Herzegovina, as well as in Serb-held Croatia. I was interested in the limited strikes around Iraq. I counted the Iraqi no-fly zones as one case, uh, both Northern and Southern watch. Um, I was interested in the cruise missile strikes that like the famous 98 Afghanistan Sudan. And then, and those time- strikes were,
0: were in response to the bombing of U S embassies <laughs> in, in East Africa, right? In East Africa, yeah. right. There's there's about 65
1: cruise missiles put into this training camp that Al-Qaeda uses in southern Afghanistan, and they believe bin Laden is there. He wasn't. And then there was about a dozen cruise missiles put into a pharmaceutical factory that they believed both uh, bin Laden owned or had an ownership stake in and they believe was uh, creating VX nerve gas, uh, both of which were false. Mm-hmm. And so I just did a sort of stealing Bob Pape's Um, uh, methodology I just looked at the universe of cases and then started coding them for do they achieve their intended political objective and by which I mean basically deterrence or compellence. I mean those are the two uh, uh, the the two sort of classical measurements Uh, punishment is another one but punishment is literally just to, to destroy and everything has a punishment element to it as well and then do they achieve their military objectives right so do they actually destroy the thing that's intended to destroy, whether that's a rocky air defense system or a, uh, the, um, the pharmaceutical factory, for example, in, uh, in Khartoum, Sudan, does it achieve it? And then I just do, I just code them for success, mixed success or failure. Mm-hmm. And my basic finding is that limited force achieves its uh, military objectives, all of them just over half the time, which is sort of surprising to people. People think that U S um, and precise munitions uh uh wonderful targeting intelligence like amazing conventional power projection capabilities can destroy any anything anywhere and there's lots of people certainly in the air force who will play that as well but you find issues with uh the, the intelligence is wrong mm-hmm. uh weapons uh the wrong uh, weapons fail like a certain number of weapons just fail upon launch weather uh might affect both uh target acquisition or the, uh, the or the missile flight um so the, or there's the I mean there's other cases of, of the well, wrong GPS coordinates are plugged in, so you think military success wise happened, but it doesn't
0: mm-hmm. so so that's interesting so but but do, do those errors um become less frequent as technology progresses, or is it like like you said like the GPS the wrong GPS coordinates are, are plugged in so it's just like a human error that is uh, sort of uh, just like standard no matter how effective the the um rest of the technology might be
1: right so I would say that the errors have reduced in large part. I would say the the ability to strike a target precisely has improved undeniably. I mean, very famously in in North Vietnam, the U.S. tried for years bombing bridges Mm -hmm. and was unable to do it just because they they, they didn't have uh, PGM-guided weapons. Now, I mean, literally there's laser designation or a PGM designation from one platform that directs another platform to put a missile directly on something the GPS is so good. The the munitions are so good. They can you can contain the strike in a building. You can you don't have to use an explosive. I mean, some some strikes the U.S. does not even use an explosive in the warhead. It's just the kinetic impact of it. So, mm-hmm. the number of PGMs in the first Gulf War was nine percent. The number uh, in Kosovo was something like sixty percent. And now basically every single strike that the U.S. does is a precise strike, with the exception of um, gunships. So the AC-130s. Um, that 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 and so the U.S. has used some of those with depleted uranium um, uh, uh, munitions, basically to shred trucks. That's mm-hmm. one of the things they use to just to just shred trucks. The low-flying A-10s or AC-130s. Um, but everything else is everything is pre- is precise now. Um, but the that doesn't mean the intelligence is correct, right? Mm-hmm. So when the intelligence is wrong, you'd actually prefer the weapon wasn't precise. Uh, um, like if you hit the actual aim point you're intended to, to hit. And there are civilians there, which you didn't know about. Well, then your target, you know, uh, intelligence development process was flawed. So, so I mean, basically, it's got it's gotten better, I would say, over time. But even you know, e- even with the strike last, the cruise missile strike last week in Syria, it's hard to know even from the after uh, action sort of battle damage assessment images that the Pentagon released. Like, was all of those, I mean, we don't know of the 59 cruise missiles how many actually hit their targets, which is something Mm -hmm. they used to brief under the Clinton and Bush administration. Usually you'd have the voice, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the J3, the head of operations for the Joint Staff would brief the results, and they haven't done any of that this time. So we don't don't actually know how successful they are, but you're right, over time, uh, the ability Mm -hmm. to... An aim point with a with a standoff weapon has gotten much much better
0: but it's it's still less than one might expect but but that is not even considering like the the political objectives which i think are are you know as important if not more important right so what what have you found about the ability of these kinds of discrete military operations to achieve their their political objectives and under what context do they succeed or fail
1: right so the um you know nobody or to to the extent we know i mean unless you have like very almost conspiratorial notions of diversionary war, like diversionary war theory is the belief that leaders use force to divert uh, domestic political attention overseas or to rally the American population around the flag. And so mm-hmm. unless you believe that's the case, states use force against other countries to achieve some political objective. They don't just fire missiles with be million to another state for the heck of it, unless there's some, you know, low level commander who decides to, but they tend to achieve a political outcome. And so You know, if you look at, uh, again, the two are coercion, uh, which is to compel somebody to stop doing something. So, is, in the case of Syria, is a great example. If you want to compel uh, the Assad regime to stop using force against civilian populated areas, you're asking him or you're requiring him to stop an ongoing behavior. And if he does not stop the ongoing behavior, you will uh, hold at risk something that you perceive that he values. Coercion is really hard because uh, there's an audience cost to Assad stopping. You know, if the U.S. makes a verbal declaration, Assad stops, now the world knows that um, his ability to operate has been limited, especially with his own sovereign territory. And so states and and leaders are really unlikely to, they basically uh, uh, coercing them or compelling them is really hard because there's an audience cost to it. Deterrence is a little easier because deterrence is a behavior they haven't started yet. So if you told Assad, uh, don't invade um, Israel, right? Well, he hasn't started that yet. There's mm-hmm. no evidence he's interested in doing that necessarily. So uh, you, could, you could announce that and have a threat of force if he didn't, and you're going to have a much more likely mm-hmm. uh, case of doing it. But what I, what, I, what I basically find is that there's almost there's very, very few cases where the political objectives, either deterrence or compellence, are met.
0: Right. What's and a good like historic instance, example where um a good deterrence are, where it was worked, not meant? Yeah. A
1: good example where it worked is in uh June uh, 1993 the Clinton administration put about a dozen cruise missiles into the Iraqi intelligence headquarters in Baghdad. This was done in retaliation for an alleged plot to kill uh the first president Bush about 70 days prior he was visiting Kuwait City. And the CIA unraveled with the help of Kuwaiti intelligence and the Saudis. There was an alleged plot to try to assassinate uh, the first President Bush. He was uh, out of office at the time, visiting as sort of a a celebratory thanks for saving the country in '91. And as a result of that, the U.S. put these 12 cruise missiles into uh, the Iraqi intelligence headquarters and said, uh, "Do not. If you make another attempt to use terrorism against U.S. officials or U.S. personnel." there will be an overwhelming retaliation against you. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that attack and that uh, articulated verbal threat to our knowledge, Iraq never plots to Mm -hmm. try to kill us officials or citizens again. So that's a, that's Um, a success story. So that's a clear case of success, right? Um, Now clear, I mean, the clear cases of failure are many, which is uh, people forget like in the early days of the, of the drone sort of strikes, both the first, the first drone strike in a non-battlefield setting was in 2002 in Yemen, and then in Pakistan in 2004, in June 2004, they began. There was a claim made by um, by the Bush administration that these were intended to deter al-Qaeda and affiliated groups from conducting terrorism. It was basically that they, they would announce quite routinely that if these groups don't sort of get on board and and and, and, and not... Uh, undertake these these sort of operations and and, and continue with transnational terrorist activity, uh, then I mean that that was the point of the strikes and that was the articulated point of the strikes and they basically never succeed. So then they sort of now we fall back on we don't pretend that they have a deterrent or compelling element to them. We just claim it's strictly punishment. Like mm-hmm. we are trying to kill these alleged high 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 value individuals within terrorist organizations or destroy infrastructure or things that they value like that's the only purpose of doing the strikes anymore we do not pretend they deter or compel anymore um but there's and then there's the cases of uh you know one of the other goals of the august 98 strikes into southern afghanistan was to compel the the taliban to turn over al-qaeda or to end its support for al-qaeda especially osama bin laden who was living both in the capital at times and in southern in southern Afghanistan. And it sort of fails to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I, there's also the cases of the Bosnian, um, some of the strikes in Bosnia. The goal was U.S. and most of the strikes were actually done by the U.S., but the Brits participated in some as well, was to strike Serbian artillery pieces or Serbian mechanized forces. And we said, here's a limited strike. If you do not stop attacks against civilians, there'll be more, and they never really stopped the attack. So... So most of the time, the political, the articulated political objectives are not met uh, as a result of the strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can talk about uh, when those aren't met. There are, there's, as I always say, there's a buffet of justifications that governments give and objectives. They give a lot of justifications and objectives. So it's really hard to measure and falsify. And I think you see that with the cruise missile strikes last week. Yeah, so... Um, as-
0: so let's 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 turn to those because uh, you know you said you know deterrence and and compellence are, are are two um, motivators. Punishment seems to be a, another one, and that at least to me seems to to be the um, motivating factor behind the the U.S. strike on the the Syrian uh, airfield. And Potentially, I suppose, also to deter future uh, chemical weapons attacks, though it seems that one of the challenges from an American perspective is that there has not been yet a clear articulation of what the political motivation is, uh, or at least there have been several, and sometimes they've been competing. Um, and, And so I'm wondering if you could put sort of those strikes into the context of the research that you've done.
1: So one of the reasons governments give this, as I say, the buffet of justifications and objectives is to sort of rope in the largest possible audiences to support the strikes. So you'll often make a humanitarian appeal, which the uh, Trump administration obviously did. And then if you read the press release that President Trump released saying it was a vital security interest, so that's making a strategic appeal uh, to individuals, you then make claims about... um, Uh, The the, the ultimate fallback position is that the president demonstrated he's a, quote, decisive leader. So if you read uh, Secretary of State Tillerson's comments, he says that repeatedly this shows he's decisive. And then the other one is you're signaling, right, that you are signaling to adversaries and allies and neutral third parties something. And the perception or the belief among people who believe this is that these signals are correctly interpreted. And then as a result of those signals, these countries will then change their behavior in the way that you intend. So
0: like North Korea might think twice sort of thing.
1: Right. So so North Korea – right. But and that's but that's a theory about how North Korea interprets because right. I can imagine uh, – North Korea may interpret this to say that we should never give up a nuclear deterrent right? and that uh, we should conduct more ballistic missile tests as a way to demonstrate our result. Mm-hmm. Or – The perception is uh, this administration claims that this is a signal to Russia to end its support for Assad when Moscow may decide as a result of these strikes, we need to more deeply invest militarily and economically in assuring the Assad regime survives because now we know the Trump administration is trying to get rid of Assad. And if they're able to do that, which would be a fourth U.S.-led regime change since since 9-11, Uh, The U.S. is dictating the rules about what they say goes, and that's something that we believe Putin cares about tremendously. So, signals are are again so hard to uh, they're really kind of fuzzily offered, and then they're impossible to measure or sort of falsify. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of people who believe very strongly. I disagree that using military force has very powerful and clear signals to allies and adversaries. Uh,
0: So, how um, would you sort of interpret? uh the, the this weeks or last weeks uh cruise or missile attacks in in Syria i mean what are their chances prospects of reaching their their political adje- objectives and aims
1: well <laughs> excuse me it's, it's i mean i would say that's clear but you know compared to like there's three good historical cases to compare this with in 1986 president reagan authorizes um some f111s to bomb uh, an airfield and another military facility in Libya as a result of a bombing of a nightclub in Berlin where U.S. soldiers were stationed. There's, the again, the Iraqi um, uh, intelligence headquarters strike I mentioned earlier as a result of the alleged assassination of the first President Bush. There's the uh, retaliation in Khartoum and Afghanistan for the East Africa uh, bombing. Those strikes took uh, 10 days, 70 days, and two weeks. The strike last week was at most two days, and according to National Security Advisor McMaster, consisted of two almost complete principles committee meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. So you cannot make the claim based upon that limited amount of time that there was, to be polite, much thought that went into this. There, they clearly don't have an idea or a, or a theory or a case to make for how this is part of a larger strategy, or how they'll be uh, uh, sequenced follow-on uh, diplomatic efforts or economic efforts to pressure, I guess, Tehran or Moscow or Damascus. Um, so this, the speed at which it is done um, suggests that there wasn't a lot of sort of strategic thought put into it. And um, the other thing I'd say is that every time limited force is used like this, in every administration, there's a claim that this is just the first step and we're going to keep the pressure using non-military means, but nothing. Um, I I always say military force, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) military force sucks all the oxygen out of the room when it's used. It clarifies and focuses, uh, administration thinking when it's over, everybody sort of reverts back to their previous routines. Uh, it's really impressive and demonstrative. And and so that clarifying focus point ends. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, my belief is there won't be a significant follow-up on diplomatic or economic or or, or political pressures. Um, So I, I would say they are trying to make a low bar case for deterrence. They are trying to claim that the only thing being deterred is additional chemical weapons use by the Assad regime. The problem is chemical weapons have barely been used to kill civilians uh, right. <laughs> by, by any sort of measurement, and the likely outcome is that Assad, as we've already seen, is not just reusing the same airfield, but is continuing with um, <laughs> indiscriminate air power in civilian populated areas. So. But would, 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 pressure,
0: well, 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 here's my question, though. If, if you're updating your data set, right, and two years from now, the Assad regime, there's still a, a war going on, but they have not yet again used chemical weapons. Would you mark this attack in the success column?
1: I would say partial success because I don't think that I – again, this is part of the measurement issue is that their political – their intended political objective I don't think is their actual political objective. Right. right, so their actual political objective is to compel Assad to stop killing civilians. Um, and the, but they they're trying to make the claim that they're trying to compel him to stop killing civilians through one means of lethality. Um, so uh, if he does not use cW again, I would say it is it is a success or partial success. Um, but the problem is that having used force and now placing u s quote credibility on the line to protect civilians from this form of lethality, when well-publicized additional uh, civilian casualty events perpetrated by the Assad regime or by Russia um, are documented and reported in the press, there will be tremendous pressure to continue the retaliation phase. Yeah. And, 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 and fact, this is probably escalation. what the
0: Obama administration, or President Obama himself, like sought to, to avoid, was that kind of escalation.
1: That kind of escalation because... The other sort of historical case that people are pointing to is, uh, and this would have been true in the case of the Obama administration in 2013, is they weren't just bombing a CW site. So, um, in 1998, in December, the U.S. and some British airplanes bombed Iraq for four days, right? They hit, and the goal was at the time Iraq was not cooperating with U.N. weapons inspectors, and so they were going to hit the. The goal was to uh, uh, destroy some of Saddam's. Uh, alleged WMD programs and uh, ballistic missile programs, both of which were prohibited by multiple UN Security Council resolutions. Um, and the belief was he was in violation. So they bombed these sites. What people forget is of the, they, they bombed 100 total targets. Of the 100 targets, just 13 were, connect, were connected to WMD or ballistic missile sites. Most of the attack in 1998 was actually against the um, Saddam Hussein regime it's air defense system, it's command and control, uh, it's Republican guards, some of the security forces, the more elite security forces connected directly to Saddam Hussein. And so I think in 2013, there would have actually been more of a regime uh, uh, targeted strike than a chemical weapon strike. And I think that's what will happen if there's another large civilian casualty event perpetrated by the Assad government is the pressure won't be just to retaliate against, quote, proportionally against the source of that lethality, but you will see a broadening of the scope of targets uh, to demonstrate U.S. resolve uh, against this additional atrocity through other means. You won't just hit the, the airplanes that drop the bombs. You might start hitting their air defense system. You might start hitting uh, uh different airfields you might start hitting forces deployed in the field, um, security forces deployed in the field, and and places where maybe you believe Assad is living as well.
0: And uh based on your previous research, what percentage of the time do are do our, our political objectives met through uh air power, discrete militar discrete air power, as you said?
1: I, I mean it's less than ten percent of the time. It's just very, it's very, very rare. Um it's so also you're saying really there's another- a chance. I would say, I mean, another, another great, even if there's a full out war, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read the work of Ivan Toft. Ivan Toft is a great scholar and he wrote a book. um, It's now 10 years, 10, 12 years ago, called Why the Weak Win Wars. And basically from like 1800 to 1945, the dominant military power almost always won any war it was engaged with another state. Since 1945, the weaker powers win two thirds of the wars. And the reason weaker powers win more often is because they have everything to fight for. And they have ways to internationalize the fight by inducing third parties to intervene on their behalf, as the Assad regime has done. Um, they have ways to use uh, uh, public relations and information as a tool to fracture coalitions balanced against them. Um, And they believe uh, the other reason that Ivan points out is that the initial demand that an outside state makes is they worry about salami slicing, that the initial demand will be met and it'll just demand more and it'll demand more and demand more. And so, even if there's a full out war between like the U.S. tries to take down the Assad regime, like if the Russians and the Iranians want to support it, it would be really really tough for. Um, US military power to replace the Assad regime, one, to take it down and two, to replace it um, and certainly forget stabilizing the country after the fact. So uh, it's, it's again, it's very, very hard to to, to make this, uh, to, to perceive how this, how this achieves much, unless it is literally just a one-off strike. And then the Trump White House is perfectly fine to witness additional atrocities.
0: Uh, well, Micah, thank you so much for your for time and, and for this research.
1: Absolutely. And uh, and if people are interested, uh, I would I mean, recommend looking at some of the other scholars, everyone from Thomas Schelling to uh, Todd Sexer, who's a great professor at University of Virginia, uh, who writes about course of diplomacy, to Alexander George, who was a great scholar on this issue. So there's lots of stuff out there. These, these events don't just happen in a vacuum. There's great social science research that can
0: inform today's policy decisions. I, I keep a copy of Arms and Influence on my desk, literally um and, uh, and, and 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 the
1: stra- and the strategy of conflict you should keep them side by side
0: oh okay I, i'll dust I'll <laughs> that one off then and i should say robert uh pape you referenced earlier has been a guest on on the podcast and talked about his seminal work bombing twin which was published in the mid 90s so Brilliant. go back to the archives check that one out but thank you thank you so much micah
1: absolutely anytime take care
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Micah. And yes, again, just to remind you, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com or just click on the link in the description field of this episode to become a premium member and get access to my Bonus episodes and Dawn's Digest Global News Clip Service. Also, we're offering a huge discount on career coaching services with Alana Sheikh. You can learn more about her services on needsbrave.com. She's a trained career coach specializing in people who work in the international relations field and international development. And if there's anything else I can do for you, if there's anything else you want to get from this podcast, whether you're a premium subscriber or not, please let me know. I love hearing from you. Send me an email via the contact button on the homepage and we'll start a conversation. I I know I say this a lot, but I really do appreciate hearing from you, hearing what your needs are, what your interests are, because I do this for you and I want to serve your needs. So thank you. I'll see you next time. Bye.